I see that everyone is not wearing flannel this week. Uh, hey, some of you are. Hey, some of you. Actually, there's quite a bit of you still wearing flannel. It's pretty great. Um, you know, I met a guest last week, and um, I was like talking to him, and he was like, "Why are all the people in this church wearing flannel?" And I looked across the audience. I'm like, "I don't know." Uh, and I just, I really, I did not, you know, put it all together. So if, if you weren't, if this is your first time uh, last week, everyone wore flannel in honor of my birthday. Uh, and I felt so loved. Thank you for that. It was very kind. But it's nice to see a lot of you not wearing the same clothes and not Redemption City get the reputation of being a cult, some sort of flannel <laughs> cult. We, do, we don't want that reputation in the city, right? We just don't. Do you imagine people walking down the street? Why? Never mind. We need to move on. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Shocker. And believe it or not, we're going to cover the first 15 verses again for the fourth time and the last time. I promise. I promise. I promise. There's just so much goodness to see here. But as you're turning there, as a slight overview, I want you to remember that Jesus overcame every temptation of his, every trial in the wilderness. And it's good news for us that he did because there would be no heaven for us if Jesus did not overcome. You you understand that. There would be no heaven, there would be no hope of a future for us if Jesus did not overcome in the desert. Jesus overcame the enemy in our place. You understand that the message of even today's sermon of application, of looking at the life of Christ and and applying what we see here, our hope is not in how well are you doing in the wilderness. Our hope is in that Jesus Christ has overcome. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are placed in him and we are more than conquerors. We are victorious when we are united to Christ by faith. It's not how well you're doing. It's how well Christ has done in your place. That's our hope. But as we look at Christ, I don't want us to just wait until the end of our lives to be victorious. We don't want to just wait to the very end and then experience the victory that Christ has wrought. That's there. That's fixed in the life of the believer. But don't we want to overcome now? Don't we want to experience the power of Christ in us now? Don't we want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit now to overcome the sins and temptations of our souls? That's what we're aiming at, and that's possible in Christ. And we want to live that way, in that beautiful reality. And I spent two weeks discussing what Jesus was doing and accomplishing in the wilderness temptation. Two weeks ago, I had our first application sermon in which I discussed a few things that I want to remind you of that we see in this text. First, we need to be daily filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit in his wilderness temptations, and so do we need to be when we face our own. And then I pointed out a regular seeking silence and solitude before Almighty God, a holy hush In this noise-polluted world, we need silence and solitude in 
in God's presence for the strengthening of our souls. If, if we're not spending regular time in silence and solitude before Almighty God, our souls will be weak. And I illustrated how I listen to two things at the same time sometimes. So I, that's a message for me too. Know our identity in Christ because Satan attacked if you're the son of God, Jesus. And so as we're in the wilderness and as you fall to temptation, the devil would whisper in your ear, are you really the son or daughter of God? We need to know our identity in Christ and we need to seek to not be slaves to our needs and desires in life. Jesus was not a slave to any desire, any need in his life, but he bore the fruit of self-control, and so do we need to, a fruit of the Spirit. And I, I taught us to see every temptation as an opportunity to prefer Jesus rather than whatever sin may be in front of us, okay? But before we continue on with today's message, we pray with me? Ask for God's help. Merciful Savior, Will you make good soil in the heart of this preacher and in the heart of the hearer? May Satan not steal this word from our hearts. May we not be like the soil along the rocky ground. We do not want to, be immediate, to immediately receive this word with joy and yet have no root. And when trouble and tribulation and persecution comes on account of the word that we fall away, Lord, may that not be so. May we not be like the soil of, of heart that's, that's sown among the thorns. May we not hear your word today, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out this word and it prove unfruitful. May what is sown today be found in good soil. May we be the ones who hear and understand and by your grace, may we in the power of your spirit bear good fruit, and yield a hundredfold for your glory and our good. May this all, I ask this all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Here's what Satan wants. He wants your faith. What is he after? He wants to destroy your faith in God. That's what he's after. Where do I get that from? 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by, your brother, by the brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What is Satan trying to devour as he's roaming this earth looking for people? What is he trying to take from us? Our life, our faith. I want you to think, in a couple years, we'll get to Luke 22, okay? We'll get, in a couple years, we'll get there. Jesus Christ looks in the face of Peter, and he says, Peter, Peter, Satan has demanded to have you, to sift you as wheat. 
but take heart. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And after you turn back, strengthen your brothers, right? What, what is Jesus telling Peter that Satan is after? His faith. And, and what was Jesus' hope? Peter, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Gird your loins, Peter. Satan's coming. That's not the message. The message is, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Brothers and sisters, the devil is after our faith in the wilderness. We, under, we need to understand that. And so that's what the devil's at work doing. God is at work making us like Jesus through our trials. Let's follow God's design for our flourishing and not cave to what the devil's designs are for us in the wilderness. And, and I want us to see this before we get into the points today. The devil only has a foothold into you as far as your own sinful desires go. James chapter 1 teaches us this. He can't tempt you with something you don't desire. He's really good at evaluating human nature and us in particular and drawing out the wickedness that is still remaining. But we understand we must be active and put in ease to death because he has no foothold other than what we give him. We need to understand that in this warfare. So reflection number one is we need to feast on God's word. Read with me Luke 4, 1 through 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And to finish the quote, man shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Deuteronomy, that's what it says. But the, here's the illusion from hell, okay, in this first temptation. Just focus on your needs. Don't think about anything other than your needs. Be consumed with what you need and what you desire. That's the illusion. That's the illusion that Satan puts before Jesus, and that's the illusion he'll put in front of us. Be consumed with your needs and desires. Well, here's what we learn. We need more than our needs for life and flourishing. We need more than our needs being met. Jesus tells us here that we need every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do we approach God's word this way? Do you think you need it as much as we need bread? Listen, Jesus feasted during his fasting. Do you know? Jesus is fasting for 40 days, but he is feasting in the wilderness on the word of God that he had stored in his soul. And isn't that a fascinating thing to contemplate? Because if you've been following Christ, you know one of his names is the word of God, and he is delighting and feasting in the word of God. So here we have the word of God feasting and delighting in the word of God. Jesus is feasting. He's having a banquet in the wilderness, and he is so full of that word and so full of the power of the Spirit that he overcame this temptation. At his weakest moment 
in life, he was abundantly stronger than the temptations that the devil threw at him because of the banquet he was having in the wilderness. Do you have that Thanksgiving feast stored up in you? Because as we engage in this warfare, we need, we need to feast on God's word. And, and let me ask you a question. How important to you is food? How important to you is food? Think about that. Listen, it's becoming increasingly more important to me as I have lamented with you publicly over and over again about losing some of the most precious foods recently, right? And uh, through my food elimination diet, I'm losing like pizza and nachos. Guys, bread that has gluten in it. I loved the gluten and still love the gluten. It just doesn't love me back. And listen, uh, we often forget that we need to keep eating to survive. Listen, food for most of Americans, there's a lot of people not in this advantaged position, but for most of us, we don't sit down and eat. I must eat so that I may continue to live. It's just we eat at the first hunger pain. We eat as culture. We eat as party and feasting and festival. Very few times do we remember if we cease from this, we die. Food is essential to us to sustain living. It's so essential, in fact, that one of the sure signs when someone is nearing the end of their life, you often hear this from loved ones. They've stopped eating. And then you know the end is near, right? It's a sure sign. We need bread to sustain life. How, how important it is to you. How often do we eat the word of God? How often do you feast on it? Listen, bread is important, no doubt. But how much more important is the word of God for the soul of a human? One of the greatest privileges elders have, one of the greatest privileges we have is praying for dear saints as they ask for it. In uh, James chapter 5, uh, it says that if you're sick, if anyone's sick, ask the elders and they'll anoint you with oil and pray for your healing. And it's one of our greatest privileges to pray for people that are suffering, that are sick, and asking for prayer. And this week we had two people come in. And one was a dear saint, a dear lady that just got a diagnosis that is unfavorable, that if true, and if taking root one day, will take her life. And as we were praying for her and anointing her with oil, and this, this disease affects the memory. But she had the boldness in front of the full elders to recite a verse. And it took her some time to, to conjure it up, and she was frustrated that it wasn't readily there. But this is the verse that she, she came up with, Jeremiah 15, 16. She said, your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. And you should have seen her sit up straighter and the fierce strength rise in this little tiny woman as she discusses her walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Her soul was strong. And she, is, she recited how her faithful father had, 
throughout her life prepared her for a diagnosis like this, that she can face it and she knows that God will be there. And what happened in front of us was a display of a life that was filled on feasting and more than feasting on just bread. She had been preparing for this her whole life, and she is flourishing in the wilderness, in the shadow of death. She is fearing no evil because she knows the Lord is with her. And in that, we are all instructed by her, are we not? That we do not feast on bread alone, or when we face a diagnosis like that, we will crumble. We need to feast on the word of God. And, and, and Jesus was not enslaved by anything but the Father's word, will, and what would give him the most glory, his obedience. Are you focused on that? And Pad read some verses earlier that have you stored up God's word in your heart that you may not sin against God? The Word of God is more than just these pages. The Word of God is God incarnate. <laughs> the Word of God has put on flesh, and we feast upon the bread of life, the satisfier of our souls. If you're feasting upon Him, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Number two, you are never alone. You are never alone. We learn this from this text. Listen, here's the illusion. You're alone. Nobody sees you. God doesn't see you. You can't feel or see God with you. Therefore, he's not there. Go ahead. Satisfy that need or desire in a forbidden way. You define what's good, not God. That's the illusion. That's the illusion. If, if, if I were able to ask each one of you, when you're most tempted to sin, I would think that you would say when you're alone. That's an illusion. That makes a lot of sense in a twisted sort of way. But have you ever considered why that is? Why are you tempted when you feel alone? Or you think you're alone? It's because we fear people and we fear consequences from being seen by those people more than we fear God. Listen, we need to learn that God is all present. There is no being alone. You are never alone. We need to learn to fear the Lord more than people. We need to live in the beauty of a phrase called Coram Deo, which means to live before the face of God. Listen to R.C. Sproul as he talks about this. To live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever we are doing and wherever we are doing it, we are acting under the gaze of God. God is omnipresent, all present. There is no place so remote that we can escape his penetrating gaze. Living under divine sovereignty involves more than a reluctant submission to sheer sovereignty that is motivated out of a fear of punishment. It involves recognizing that there is no higher goal than offering honor to God. Our lives are to be a living sacrifice offered in a spirit of adoration and gratitude. There is nowhere that God is not present. We need to love this doctrine. Edward Lee says, God is never shut up in any place nor shut out of any place. 
Jesus would appear to be alone in the wilderness, but do you know that he is not alone? The Father and the Spirit are with him. And it is an illusion from the enemy that you have privacy. The sins that we commit, we commit in the full gaze, in the presence of God. Whether we feel him or see him, he is there. Listen to Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. It's an illusion. There is no being alone. But we fear people more than we fear God. And we need to wrestle with that as we learn from God's word here. Psalm 139, 7 through 10, personalize this. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. This doctrine, this truth about God changed my life. And if you let it, it will change yours. To embrace, to love this doctrine that God is with us. Would I be tempted and commit this sin in front of the face in the presence of God? There's sins that you would never commit in front of your spouse, your kids, your neighbor, your boss. But we would commit them in front of the full sight of God. In his presence, we need to blow up the illusion of privacy and and embrace this beautiful doctrine that God is with us. This knowledge will restrain a lot of temptations in life. Do you fear the Lord? Do you fear God's discipline? I do. How many pastors have publicly fallen because of private sins that God will expose? God is loving and he will not let his children stay in the dark. He will expose it. I fear that with my whole being. And it restrains evil in me. And that is good, is it not? And for you, we must embrace this. And not just out of a fear of God's discipline, but out of loving awe of this truth that God fills. Did you hear him? He declares, he, do I not fill heaven and earth? Is he not here with us in this room? Are we hidden from his sight? This is a beautiful doctrine. And and we must learn this because we will fall in sin in the wilderness. And when Adam sinned, he thought that he could hide from God. Did he not? God created heavens and the earth. And he created man and he put him in the garden. And Adam thought in the insanity of sin that he could hide from this creator of heaven and earth in a bush covering himself with fig leaves. Do you know sin, there's an insanity to sin that's in you and in me. Do you know that? Because when we sin, we're just like him. We, we think we can hide from him and clean ourselves and cover ourselves. We need to listen, church. When we fall in the wilderness, even with this knowledge, we need to turn to a merciful God who does not treat us as our sins deserve. That has mercy upon all who confess and turn from their sins. They will be embraced and forgiven and cleansed by because of the work of Christ. Let's stop the crazy. He is always with us. Let's stop pretending and under, let's stop pretending and understanding, although that we don't feel him, he is 
with us, and we walk by faith, not by sight. But it's more than that. It's not only do we live before the face of God, but God lives in us, church. It's more than that. After Jesus' resurrection, Christ promised his followers that he would always be with them. And how is that? This takes place through the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, our comforter, our counselor, our helper. So God's presence is not just general, it's covenantal with us, his people. He dwells within us and we dwell within him. We not only live before his face, but we dwell in our Savior. And he dwells within us. Jesus delighted himself in the fear of God. Did you know that? The Bible says that he delighted in the fear of God. This prophecy about him, Isaiah 11.3, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by what he, his ears hear. He delights in the fear of God. And listen, God's presence ought, to ha- ought not to have less influence on us than that of mere humans. God's presence ought not to have less influence on us than that of mere humans. Do not let this doctrine just terrify you. It ought to comfort you and leave you in awe. This truth ought to motivate us to flee from sin. Third, our kingdom and glory come later. Our kingdom and glory come later. Listen to temptation number two, Luke 4, 5 through 8. And the devil took him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will leave all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall, not wor- you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Here's the illusion. Life is about the accumulation of money and possessions and, a- and about as much glory as you can receive from others. Here's the illusion from the devil. Life is about the accumulation of money and possessions and glory from other people. That is the temptation. The devil tried to tempt Jesus to sell his soul for glory, wealth, and power. Is that a temptation in this world for us? You better believe it. The devil wanted Jesus to gain those by worshiping him. But we found that for Jesus, the cross comes before his crown and his inheritance. Praise be to him. And it's similar for us. Our glory and our kingdom come later, not now, not here. A lot of American Christianity has become about health, wealth, and prosperity, has it not? You see it everywhere. You see it everywhere. Just like the devil says in this temptation, Jesus, if you're the son of God, no suffering, no hardship, that's a lie. That is a lie. Listen, Naked we have come into this world, and naked you will depart, no matter how much you accumulate. We have come into this world naked, and we will depart naked and with nothing. I, I, uh, I, have, I had an uncle named Jerry, um, 
and I miss my uncle, he's with the Lord now, but he would always say the same thing about something on the farm after it broke. He would shrug his shoulders and say, can't take it with us anyway. And he's probably thinking, I'm tired of fixing that. <laughs> Good riddance. But, Jer but Jerry, there's a lot of wisdom in that sentence, isn't there? Those possessions had no hold on him. That is not what life was about for my uncle. Many in this room are in the midst of building a career, which is good. But there are temptations along the path that can ensnare. Are there not? A lot of temptations along that path. Let's start this conversation, but I'm not going to finish it today. Luke, thankfully, has a lot to say about possessions, and we're going to return to this throughout our journey through Luke. But let's start this conversation. I'm not going to be able to cover every angle, but I want you to reflect on some things. First, having wealth is not evil. That must be said. In fact, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says this, For even when we were with you, we would, would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So we need money to eat, right? And it's, it's more than that, because we need to have enough to take care of our own families, Listen to 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We're also to have enough to take care of the poor, to support kingdom building, etc. All of that takes money, right? And newsflash, life in America ain't cheap. Can I get a witness in this room? School, cars, weddings, eating out, grocery bills larger than our mortgages. Can I get another witness in this building? I thought I would get a bigger response from that, people. And for those people in our church who have teenage boys, God have mercy on your souls. They are absolute bottomless pits. And sometimes that never grows out of the teenager. You remain bottomless pits. It's expensive to live in this world. It's insane out there, but there's a lot of money out there to gain. But the temptation is not whether we have a lot or a little. It's whether do you love, has your heart wrapped around the love of money and possessions? That is the question. Are you trusting in them? Have you made them an idol that you serve and worship? Do you devote everything to getting more? That's the question. Listen, 1 Timothy 6, 9, and 10 says this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some people have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, the devil was temp tempting Jesus with this, and he tempts humanity with this. Are we biting on it. And again, he can only tempt us with things that are, are a draw to our hearts. And this one, I think, 
is relevant to all of us. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Is that not the truth? You ever felt good about a, a little bit of savings you got in your money? And then I heard one father say that he has five daughters. He said, and then all five of them needed braces at the same time. Thank you for that right reaction. Whoever made that, that is, that's the kind of reaction that fuels the preacher, you know? I know I've deeply moved you people when I see. It's like, I just touched their soul, yeah? That's helpful. Yeah, give me feedback, okay? It sprouts wings. Have enough wisdom to desist. This is not what life is about. I can't define what's good for each of you in your particular circumstance from this stage, but I want to ask you some questions. And this would be really good conversation within your life group, okay? Ready? Here's some questions. How much is enough? What will it take to get that much? Are you trusting the Lord to provide or are you stressing yourself to no end? Not just to survive, but to maintain a certain level of living that you've deemed necessary. How much will that cost you? Are you there for your spouse and kids? Will you get to the end of your days and regret what you're doing right now? When was the last time you asked yourself, why do I do what I do? When's the last time you, we just plow through life? If you're like me, it's like you just plow through. We have to stop. I'm, I'm asking you to pause. Why do you do what you do? Why do you take those extra work trips that keeps you away from family? Do you have to stay the full time? Are you staying extra to avoid your other and greater responsibilities? Why are you working those extra hours at work? Are you trying to curry the favor of your boss to the point of you stressing and serving only him and worshiping him or her? Why are you doing that? And is that costing you time abdicating your other equally or more important roles that you have in your life? The temptation is to sell your whole life to, to the pursuit of wealth and the Neglect the superior things like deep fellowship with God, your family, the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ. The temptation is for us to sell our soul for glory and wealth in our careers. Satan would encourage you into that, to take the kingdom now. It would lead us into worship what he loves instead of what pleases the Lord. Listen, Glory. Ask yourself, are you seeking glory from others? Really ask yourself that. Are you seeking glory from others? Or do you seek the glory of God and living for the pleasure of God in your particular life circumstance? Listen to John 12, 43. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That's a temptation common to man. There's another name for it. Pride. And it's a landmine 
for our souls. And, and, and pride is, is another name for sin. We all have it to some degree. Are you actively trying to put this to death by the power of the Spirit? Listen, the love of money and the stress of making it, do you know, will choke out the Word of God from your soul. Do you know that? The Word of God, the love of money will choke that out of your soul. Jesus teaches us this, Matthew 13, 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. you got to ask yourself, have I fallen in love with these things? Am I worshiping money and possessions? This is about kingdom building. Jesus desired a kingdom that was not of this world. He desired something greater than this world has to offer. Do you understand? Everything in this world will burn. And God will remake, and he will bring heaven down to this earth and remake it all. Everything that you're working for and toiling will burn. And we need to remember that. Our kingdom is not of, of, of this world. It is beyond, and this coming kingdom is beyond whatever you could dream or imagine why don't you take Jesus at his invitation to store up treasures there? Store up treasures there. Listen, Jesus survived this temptation through worship. Did you see that? Worship me, Jesus. He says, no, you shall only worship the Lord your God, and to him you shall serve only. This is a worship issue of your heart. Your heart follows what you treasure the most. We need to ask this. Is it money or God? Jesus actually teaches us you can only serve money or God. You can't serve both. It's not sinful to have it, but are you serving it? Are you devoting your life to getting it? Have enough discernment to desist. That's not what life is about. May we, our treasure be the Lord and our heart remain steadfast about what is real treasure in this world. As one commentator put it, we must learn that the greatest antidote to the pride of life is worship. When you are proud, we exalt ourselves as great, but when we worship, we exalt God as great. When we are proud, we say, look at me. When we worship, we say, look at God. When we are proud, we want people to serve us. When we worship, we want people to serve God. For Jesus, the cross comes before the crown. And you know, as his invitation to you as his followers is to take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow him. Yeah, our kingdom and glory are later. Reflection number four, fourth one, final one. God has abundantly proven his love for you. God has abundantly proven his love for you. Luke 4, 9 through 12. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here's the illusion. God must keep proving to you that he is good and that he loves you and that he will keep his promises to you. Jesus, throw yourself down. God said that 
He won't let your precious foot even strike a stone. He'll catch you. Make God prove his love to you as you start your ministry. Make him prove it. Christ refused to play this game, and we must learn to follow him in this. Satan directly quotes the Bible, but he interprets it wrongly, and Jesus sets him in this false interpretation straight. Listen to me. What does not agree with Scripture does not come from God. And this is why we must interpret this book correctly. Listen. Jesus' trust in his Father's care is beautiful and instructive here. Do you trust God's fatherly goodness and care for you? The temptation that, that Satan would put forward is to make God prove his love, to force it, and to tempt you to think he doesn't love you and he's not good. That's what Satan wants to take from you. And listen, when we do that, it's not faith that is sin. When we do that, we question God's love and care for us often in life. We, we wrap God's love into things that ought not be wrapped in, such as, God, if you love me, I'll get that job. God, if you love me, my marriage will start working out better. God, if you love me, you will give me children. God, if you love me, my loved one will survive this illness. God, if you love me, Fill in the blank. And we don't realize that when we're praying and thinking like this or uh, that we are inappropriately putting God to the test. Prove it to me. Prove it to me, God. God must not hear or love me. And listen, I will cover in future sermons because Luke has a lot to say about prayer. It's not the scope of this sermon to say, what do we do with these prayers that God either says no to or wait? I want to answer that question for you guys and for us to talk through that, but that's not the scope of today. I, what I want to do today is to untangle those pains in your life from thinking God doesn't love you or care about you or that his fatherly care is good. That's the temptation. When we, when we go through this really hard life and we, we all of you carry scars in the, into this world with you, you start to think, God doesn't love me. God, prove it to me. And that falls into this temptation that Satan wants you to walk in and to destroy your faith. God has done enough to demonstrate that he loves you and will be faithful to his promises. Something I say to my girls most nights before I leave the room, I think I might have shared this with you before, but I'll say, mommy and daddy love you, but who loves you the most? And they say, God. You know? And I'll follow that with the question, how do you know that he loves you? Because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's right. And I ask more questions, but we never have to question if God loves us because hasn't he proven it already in the most dramatic way? And he's going to take care of our greatest needs. He will take care of you in life, even when it feels hard. In this world, we will have trouble, but take heart. He has overcome the world. In this world, we will lose loved ones. We will lose our health. We will lose our wealth sometimes. We d things don't always work out every way we desire, but untangle is God good? Does God love me from that? Because Satan, what's he after? 
If he's got you there, he will destroy or attack your faith. Don't bite. Trust in God's loving care for you that's demonstrated on the cross of Jesus Christ. And we must take care not to create situations in which we make God seem like he's failed to keep his word, like God gave a child to Abraham in his old age. Therefore, God promised to give me a child. People do this kind of thing. No, that was a promise given to a particular man for a particular reason. And so we must, and, and when he healed Hezekiah and gave him 15 more years, you can't claim that and say, God's going to give me 15 more years. That was a promise for Hezekiah. And so we need to be really careful. Can, Satan would be like, yeah, God said it, but he's not doing it. He's not good. Don't trust him. His fatherly care has failed. No, we must work hard. Again, devote ourselves to the word of God to know what has God promised me from this word, and he will never fail you. And that is demonstrated on the cross of Jesus Christ. God is a good father. Trust him. Don't further injure yourself when we doubt his fatherly care. He loves you. Just look at the cross, dear saint. Listen, don't we do more injury to ourselves when not only are we suffering, but now we're suffering because we don't think God cares about us? We've compounded that suffering. And here are some, just a few practical applications from my application sermon. Are you ready? How sick am I? This is what happens in my office, people. You need to visit me more so I don't have more time to write, okay? Because this is going to happen. So here's a couple applications to the application sermon. The devil and his army want you to bow to them. They want you to fall as much as you can in the wilderness. And, after your, and they are after your faith in God. Don't let them have it. Some of you are in danger of, of giving it up to them. May that end today. You know what Satan fears the most? Listen to me. Do you know what Satan fears the most is an outpouring of the Spirit that would lead us to say along with Paul, listen to this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We need to seek to be free like this man, Paul. Whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing can touch you in the wilderness if you live like that. If your treasure is on Christ like this, and I, I believe we are silencing the Spirit with trinkets and toys, and we remain weak, beaten by these sinful desires of our flesh, we are an easy target for the devil. Do you know that the things that we touch, taste, smell, and hear make spiritual things seem dull in this earth, you know? The things we touch, taste, smell makes spiritual things seem dull. The things that shine, that blink, they seem like interesting. Do you know one day in eternity, those things that take our attention now will seem so small, so dull, so dumb. 
Keep this in mind as you evaluate your life and you lead your heart and your family. Value eternal treasure. In a million years from now, do you think you'll treasure the things you treasure now? It's going to seem dull and dumb. Let's not fall into that temptation. Let's be set on fire for the glory of God and store treasure there because of Christ and what he has done. One more, tempta- one more temptation that must be said more clearly here than anywhere else. There's a political temptation at this temptation. Political implication at this temptation. Talk about temptations. This is an election year, folks. Did you know? Or my, I just, there's an election this year. This year is filled with potentials, temptations to sin, right? Mocking current leaders, mocking our, the candidates and putting way too much trust in a particular leader to be a part of cancel culture if somebody doesn't agree with you. Be godly, church. Don't justify being sinful because of the importance of this election. Do you know, how does it fit? Satan would have made Christ king. Have the kingdoms now. Be the political leader now. Do you know what Jesus' followers want him to do? Overthrow Rome, be a political leader now. Take the kingdom now. Jesus did not bite. That is not why he came. Jesus' kingdom is a spiritual one, not the right now kingdom. It's in the future, in the renewed heavens and the renewed earth. Listen, this account makes clear why Jesus was not a political messiah. Such a view of the Messiah's task comes from the devil. Jesus would have nothing to do with it. Thus, he would not fit the Jewish portrait of a Messiah. Listen, we are members and citizens of two kingdoms, one of America and one of heaven. We need to be good citizens of both. And this election year is important, just like every other election It's important. It has real implications for our future. You should take it seriously. You should put your time and effort into understanding the issues and who you're going to put your vote into. But there is, listen, the White House is not heaven and the president is not God. We need to put this in perspective. We need to put this in perspective. It's of vital importance, but we need to temper our expectations. Put your trust in the Lord. Pray for our country as God commands us to pray for political leaders and to strive to live at peace in our country, for the gospel to thrive, to keep our freedoms. But listen to me. Do not be a scoffer. Have self-control over your mouths. Christian, you represent the Lord Jesus Christ. You're his ambassador. Do not participate in cancel culture if somebody doesn't like the candidate you believe in with all of your heart. We need to not avoid these. You know, I've said I want us to be a family. And you say family avoids politics and religion. No, hard families avoid tough topics. Healthy families engage intellectually and even with passion. But do not sin You know, there's never a time where we are allowed to not bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit and it be okay. I want you to remember that during this political season and to honor Christ through it all. So let's wrap this up. Listen, what is truly in you will be exposed in a trial. What do do our trials say about us? What What do your trials say about you? Do you know? 
It says that you need the help of a Savior. That's what it says. We have room to grow. That's what our trials tell us. We are not perfected yet. God uses our trials and temptations and turns them into growth moments for us. He is a loving Father. But what do the trials and temptations of Jesus say about him? He is pure. He is true. He is worthy. He is strong. He is glorious. He is resolute. He is unconquerable. He is victorious. And he is precious beyond compare. We worship a perfect God. You know, you've been weighed and you've been measured and we've been found wanting. Christ has been weighed, he's been measured, and found flawless. We have a perfect Savior. We have a great high priest who knows, has been tempted in every way, and has, has yet not sinned, and he knows how to help us. And do you, know, do you know that there's an end to this fight that's coming, or that, that we're in? The fight with the end in mind. Fight like the Savior fought. Fight with the freedom he purchased for you. Listen to the end. Romans 8, 17 and 18. If And if children, then heirs, heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Church, if you are outside of Christ today, won't you come to him for salvation? We have all fallen short and sinned. And in Christ, in his death and resurrection, there's peace and reconciliation with God. Jesus overcame every temptation, and he walked out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Redemption City Church, I want you to hear this in closing. James 4, 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And Jesus, it's amazing that in 15 verses we could do four sermons and they could have been 10. There's just so much to observe in your word. There's so much to observe in you, Lord. And And Lord, thank you for this time that we've had as a church to to just reflect on what you've done and who you are and, and how it relates to us. And so Jesus, I pray for people in this room right now that have lived dominated. Their reality is they've been dominated with sin and temptation. And Lord, I pray if they're not in Christ and and they've lived as a slave to their needs and desires their whole life, will you open their eyes and may they come to faith in you today. May they turn from their darkness to the bright Savior filled with light and salvation. And Lord, I pray for any Christian brother or sister in this room that has has bit on the temptation of being alone or for for riches and power and glory. May they see that they've turned to the darkness and may they repent and turn from their sins and turn to Christ and, and live in a way that honors and pleases you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross. And Jesus, you have you are our victory. 
We all fall short, but Christ, you have succeeded in our place. Help us to trust in you and to experience more of that freedom in this world as we live.